Well, hey everyone, it is so awesome to be together this morning. Uh, sad that we can't be together, but very glad that God has given us technology that allows us to worship and study His Word together, even on a Sunday morning like this. So I just want to invite you today to get your Bible, uh, get a pen, get some paper, maybe grab a nice uh, hot cup of coffee. Come on, uh, I, I just, I love coffee and uh, I don't know about you, but for me, like coffee is definitely the most important meal of the day. Uh, drinking a hot cup of coffee, especially on a cold day like today, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like a warm hug with every sip that I take. So I uh, hope you're comfortable. I hope you're ready to hear God's word. Um, you know, many, you know, Many years ago, we had a, a coffee ministry here at Hope. We had a, a coffee uh, bar all set up, and you could come to church, get your coffee, and uh, it was very wonderful. And then one day, we turned that coffee bar into a children's check-in, and uh, we had a lot of unhappy people at the church, and the person that I heard it from the most was actually my wife, and we would be sitting together in church, and she'd just lean over and whisper, she'd be like, hey, you know, we could be drinking coffee right now, but someone took that away, and uh, we're, we're talking a lot about bringing things back here at Hope. We're bringing back children's ministry, which we're super excited about, um, and uh Gosh, let's bring coffee back, amen? Come on, we, we gotta get our morning coffee. And uh, I, I was just thinking about that. I think God actually loves coffee. You know, how do I know that God loves coffee? Well, he put a book in the Bible called He Brews. Come on, you know God loves coffee if there's a book in the Bible called He Brews. I love that. Uh, well, if you think Hebrews is about God's love for coffee, well, you could be an addict. I'm just saying. What is the book of Hebrews all about? Guys, today we are starting a brand new 17-week series in the book of Hebrews. We're going to take a few weeks off here and there, but uh, for the most part, we're going to be rolling through this and we should finish up sometime as we begin to experience the warmth of summer. So this is going to be our series uh, throughout the spring coming up to summer. We're just really excited about what God is going to teach us through the book of Hebrews. One of the reasons I love the book of Hebrews is because I like to take my coffee the same way that I take my theology deep, rich, and bold. And if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, you know that Hebrews is not some foo-foo coffee drink that you get at Starbucks. Hebrews is deep. It's deep theology. When we come to Hebrews, we're coming to the holy of holies of biblical theology. And so this is going to be deep, deep stuff, guys. We are going to get into God's word and we are going to hear a message that has has the power to change our lives. And I couldn't be more excited for us to get into this book of the Bible. But before we get there, let's quickly talk about some of the background info to the book of Hebrews. First question is, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And the answer is, we don't know. 
We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews is a book in the Bible that comes to us anonymously. In other words, um, the author doesn't name himself in the book. Now, of course, people have debated and continue to debate who they think the author might be. And some people say Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say Barnabas wrote the book of Hebrews. Others say it was Apollos or maybe even Luke. But the truth is, guys, we don't know who wrote this book. But what we do know from Hebrews itself, from chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we do know that the person who's writing the book of Hebrews is within the apostolic circle. This is somebody who has learned from the apostles. This is an apostolic person. And he goes out of his way to tell us that what he's giving to us has actually come from the apostles themselves who got it from Jesus himself. And so we can actually have confidence in the authority of this book. All right, so we don't know who wrote Hebrews, and, and that's the author, but, but what about the audience? To whom is this book written? And with that, we have, actually have some great information there. Uh, we have the title itself, which tells us it's written to the Hebrews. The title that comes to us is Hebrews. This is a letter that's been written to Hebrew Christians. These are Jewish believers. Right? The author is writing to a group of people who, who, who grew up ethnically Jewish and later in life converted to Christ. They began to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They surrendered their life to Christ and followed him. That's who this book is written to. It's written to the Hebrew Christians. So these are people that have a rich background in, in, in Jewish thought and in the Jewish world. These are people who have a deep understanding of the Bible, of the Hebrew scriptures, which is why the author quotes from Hebrews uh, somewhere around 100 times. Even today, we're going to see the author quote scripture after scripture after scripture because this is somebody writing to a group of people who are familiar with the Old Testament. These are also people who are highly attuned to Jewish rituals and practices. And if you've read Hebrews, you know that this book is going to go into a lot of detail when it comes to the temple, to priests, and to all the sacrifices that were taking place there. And apparently, as you're reading Hebrews, you're going to see apparently all this is still going on. The temple's still standing. The sacrifices are still going on because the author tells us all of this, this is what it says, is ready to vanish away, meaning that's going to come. Hasn't happened yet, but it will come. And it does come in A.D. 70. Do you know what happened in A.D. 70? That is the year that a Roman army marched into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Um, burned it to the ground. Just like Jesus predicted, not one stone 
was left upon another. That hasn't happened yet. That's ready to happen. So we're looking at a letter here. It was written to a group of Hebrew Christians sometime before AD 70, maybe in the early 60s, where a lot of books in the New Testament were being written at that time. But it's also written to a group of believers who've hit a snag. This is where we get to the heartbeat of this book. See, the book of Hebrews is written to some people that are having second thoughts about their Christian faith. And they're thinking about abandoning Christ and going back to that old way of Judaism. They're thinking about leaving Christ and going back to their Jewish faith. Maybe, maybe this whole Jesus thing just isn't working out the way we thought it was. Maybe Jesus isn't all we thought he was going to be. We're thinking about moving on and going back to what we knew before. Our Hebrew scriptures, our temple, our sacrifices. These are people who are ready to walk away from Christ. So what that means is that one of the major themes of Hebrews is giving up. And that means we need this word of exhortation, which is what Hebrews calls itself in Hebrews 13.22, so that we don't give up on our faith. But one of the reasons I love the book of Hebrews is that it is such an encouraging book. This is a word of exhortation that's designed to help us live every day with passion for Jesus Christ. It's like that good cup of coffee. Hebrews. He's energizing our faith in Christ. So this is a book that's going to energize our faith. How's it going to do that? And this is where I want to get to the big, big, big theme of Hebrews. And this is what Hebrews is trying to encourage us the whole time. Jesus is better. Listen, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Than, than anything that came before. Jesus is far superior than anything we could ever go back to. Before you think about going back, remember, Jesus is better. He is far more glorious than we could have ever imagined. Jesus is better. He's greater. He's grander. He's, he's more glorious than anything in our lives. So don't walk away from Jesus. Jesus is better. The Greek word for better shows up 13 times in the New Testament. Nine of those are in the book of Hebrews. This is the big encouragement. We're going to see over and over again in the the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. And so as we dive into our message today, I want to show you there's nothing grander Nothing greater, nothing more beautiful, nothing more wonderful, nothing more all-satisfying than our our incredible Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is superior. See, ultimately, the book of Hebrews encourages us to persevere in our faith in Christ by showing us the superiority of Jesus over anything and everything. 
And our passage doesn't waste any time getting to this theme of Jesus is better. So why is Jesus better, you ask? I want to invite you now to open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's find out. While you're turning there, um, will you just join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we can open up our Bibles and study your word. That no matter uh, what's coming our way with the weather, we know that you are better, God. We love you. We love getting to know you. So speak to us today through your word. Reveal yourself to us in a powerful way and encourage us in our walk with Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. I hope you're there. We're talking about Jesus is better. Why is Jesus better? Number one. Number one, and you can write this down. Jesus is better because Jesus is God's ultimate word. Jesus is God's ultimate word. He's God's final word. Our God is a speaking God. He's speaking to us. And Jesus is the ultimate word of God. Check this out. Look at Hebrews 1.1. Verse 1, the writer says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. We already see the theme. Jesus is better. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but today God is speaking through his son, Jesus. See, our God is a speaking God. He's always been speaking. Go back to the very beginning when God creates the world. How does God create the world? He creates the world by speaking. Our God is a speaking God. He's a God who's revealing himself to us. In the past, the author says, Hebrews 1.1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, how? Through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And that's actually a great description, isn't it? Of how God spoke in that Old Testament time period. You, you look at how God speaks in the Old Testament. He's creative. He is imaginative. God speaks to Moses in a burning bush. The bush is on fire. It's not being consumed. And God speaks from within the bush. Or how about Elijah? You remember the story of Elijah and, and he's up on the mountain and there's an earthquake and there's, you know, the fire and all that. God's not in any of that. And God speaks to Elijah in a gentle whisper. You have Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet and Jeremiah says the word of God was like a fire inside of him. It was shut up inside of his bones and he couldn't hold it back. Or maybe one of my favorites is how God spoke through a donkey. You remember that story? And I just always think whenever I'm, uh, whenever I'm preaching, I just think, you know, if God can speak through a donkey, you know, maybe God can speak through me. What I'm here to tell you today is that God is speaking. It's actually an error to think that our God is silent. The God that the world thinks is silent is actually not silent at all. 
From the very beginning, God's been revealing himself to humanity. And today, he's revealing himself to you. He's given you his word. The word of God. Right? That's our, that's our, our scriptures. That's our Bible. Right? We call it God's word because God speaks to us in the pages of scripture. God reveals himself in the pages of scripture. And that's awesome. That's amazing. But what is, what is the author of Hebrews telling us? about the ultimate way that God speaks to us. The writer's telling us that God ultimately doesn't speak to us in a book, but the ultimate word of God to us is his son, Jesus. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is God's ultimate word. And in saying that, the author is not saying that anything that came before, anything in the Old Testament is wrong. It's not wrong. It's not obsolete. It's, it's not irrelevant. No, it's very relevant to us. What the author is saying is all that came before, the way God spoke in those many ways, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. And we actually need Jesus to fill in the picture for us. See, God is actually unveiling himself in the most incredible way in the person of Jesus. God is speaking to us today through his son. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. I want you to think of some of the the groundbreaking words that have been spoken. Words that have changed the history of the world. I was thinking about one, uh, March 10th, 1876. Years of experimenting are paying off, and Alexander Graham Bell speaks the very first words over a telephone. And he says, Mr. Watson, come here, I need you. Uh, not, not Not the most amazing first words, but he says, Mr. Watson, come here, I need you, over the telephone. You think about that. Those six words would forever change the way we live. And you go from the telephone to the iPhone, and those words in 1876 have literally ushered in a new era of human history. We think about Jesus. I want you to think about how monumental this is. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. It's brought forth a new era in these last days. See, the last days actually have nothing to do with COVID-19. The last days here, it's talking about this new era where God is revealing himself to us in Jesus Christ. And this era continues till the day Jesus returns. In these last days, come on, God has spoken us into the great, spoken to us the greatest way he could speak to us. He's spoken in his son. He's revealing himself to you today in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you want God to speak to you, if you want to know who God is, there's no better way for you to learn who God is than take a look at Jesus the Son. Because God speaks to us today in these last days through his Son. So who is the Son? Who is this ultimate revelation of who God is? Guys, Hebrews gets even better. I want you to check this out. That was just verse, 
verse 1. This is what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Who's the son? Listen to this. Whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Wow! Here we get a, we get a seven-fold description of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is like drinking seven shots of espresso. Okay, this is like, this is crazy. I mean, each one of these lines, there's seven lines, seven-fold description of Jesus. Each line, each shot is like a whole theology course. And we could spend hours on each one of these. We're finding out exactly who Jesus is. Listen to what it says. It says, Jesus is heir of all things. Remember the psalm? Psalm 2, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Do you think Jesus asked? He asked. And so all things, listen to this, all things. He's the heir of all things. All things will come under the feet of Jesus. Guys, history belongs to Jesus. The future belongs to Jesus. He is the heir of all things. Why? Because he's the beginning of all things. All things were created through him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And even today, right now, it says he is even sustaining all things. He's sustaining you right now in this moment through his powerful word. And then it gets even more amazing. It says, after making purification for our sins. This is talking about how Jesus purifies us from all of our sin through his sacrifice on the cross. He laid down his life for us, right? And we have this free gift, purification from all sins through trusting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And then it says, after all of that, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Wow. And we don't want to miss that middle line, right? Which talks about Jesus being God's ultimate revelation to us. It says that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hebrews is very clear that Jesus is God. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know who God is, take a look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact representation. He is the exact picture of who God is. It's why the author says, God has spoken to us in his son. The son is the final word. The son is the ultimate expression of who God is. So do you get it today? That Jesus is better. He's the better word. God speaks to you and me through the person of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, why else is Jesus better? You can write this down. Number one, he's, Jesus is God's ultimate word. Number two, Jesus is superior in every way. 
Jesus is superior in every way. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And here we see the superiority of Jesus over the angels. And it's beginning with verse 4 where it says, He became much superior to the angels. When we think of angels, we're thinking of something that's awesome. What's, what's greater than an angel? <laughs> Only God's greater than an angel. Again, pointing Jesus being, being God. Right? Jesus is greater than the angels. Well, angels are awesome. What's more awesome than an angel? Well, Jesus is. You ask my wife what her favorite movie was growing up. She'd tell you it was Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> That's a good one, you know. Angels in the Outfield. What's... What's that movie about? Angels in the Outfield is about uh, a baseball team called the Angels. They're terrible. They're the worst team in the league, and they, they, they can't do anything to win. And one day, a, a boy prays, and he asks God to help his favorite team, the Angels. And God sends some angels to, to help out this struggling baseball team, and miraculous things start happening. I just remember the, the scene where the, the guy jumps up to catch a fly ball. There's no way he's going to catch it. The angel like, lifts him up, and he catches the ball. Angels in the outfield. In the words of Danny Glover, uh, you know, angels are, angels are with you. And, uh, and it's just this, this amazing story where, um, you know, what, what was the sign that the angels were there? Remember, they'd, they'd flap their arms like angels' wings. And, uh, and if they, they could be believed, they could overcome any obstacle. Well, angels are these, these glorious creatures. But of course, we don't learn about angels from movies. We learn about angels from Scripture. And the Scripture tells us that angels are glorious beings. They're awesome beings. Anytime an angel shows up, what, what's an angel's very first word? Don't be afraid. I- implying that those who encountered angels were afraid. Uh, you, you know, that's got to get old for the angels. It's got to be pretty tiring every time you appear to a human. Oh, don't be afraid. Hey, don't be afraid. Come on, what's your problem? Why are you so afraid? And just every time it's like, okay, here we go again. Don't be afraid. But guys, that's what they had to do because angels are glorious. And they're glorious because they reflect the, gl- the glory of God. We don't know exactly what's going on in the Hebrew, in Hebrews, but we know people are starting to think that maybe these angels are more glorious than Jesus. And the writer just says, okay, hold on, hold on. Let's go back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. And line by line, as the author quotes from the Old Testament, just showing us over and over again, Jesus is superior. He is superior to the angels. You think angels are awesome? Well, Take a look at Jesus. So uh, let's, let's see what the author has to say here. And we're going to go through these kind of quick. We're covering a lot of territory today. But our author begins to unveil the superiority of Christ over the angels. And, and I just want to show you this. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus has a better name than the angels. Jesus has a better name. He's the name above all names. Verse 4, so he became as, excuse me, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father? 
Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. In other words, angels are servants, but Jesus is the son. The son has a better name than the angels. He's actually superior to angels. That's verse four and five. Verse six, I love this. The angels worship Jesus. So Jesus is superior. And again, verse six, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Angels are awesome, but angels worship Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. And he goes on. Verse seven through nine. Angels serve. Jesus is on the throne. The angels, they serve. They serve Jesus who sits on the throne. This is what it says. In speaking of the angels, he says, and I see this over and over again. He's quoting scripture, right? Line by line. In speaking of the angels, God says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, of the son Jesus, what does he say? He says, what's, what's his name? Your throne, O God. Does the Bible call Jesus God? Absolutely. Right? This is showing the superiority of the son over all things, over the angels. He is superior because he is God. That's awesome. About the son, he says, your throne, O God. Jesus is God. Your throne will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. You hear that? Jesus is above all his companions because Jesus has been anointed to sit on the throne. The angels serve, but Jesus is on the throne. He is God. How about this? You think angels are superior? Check out verses 10 to 12, which tells us Jesus created everything. And he even created the angels. Verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment they'll be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus laid the foundations of the earth. Jesus created everything. All things were created through him, including the angels. Jesus is superior. Last one, verses 13 through 14. I love this one. Jesus, not the angels, win the victory. Jesus wins the victory, not the angels. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? This is what Hebrews wants to do. Hebrews gives us some perspective. And it's nice to get some perspective here. Jesus is far superior than we could ever imagine. He is superior to the angels. And the angels, they're glorious. But wow, look at Jesus. Wow. He's awesome. He's God. He sits on the throne. He reigns. He's the beginning and the end. That's Jesus. So I give you this example today because this is what Hebrews is going to do over and over again. Um, you know, chapter one, 
it just happens to be the angels. But as we go through Hebrews, we're going to see this time and time again. The author is going to say Jesus is superior to just about anything you could put in his place. Jesus is superior to prophets. Jesus is superior to Moses and Aaron. Jesus is superior to the priests. He's superior to the sacrifices. Jesus has supremacy over all things. That's the theme of Hebrews. This week it just happens to be the angels. Jesus surpasses them all. He's greater than all and is more amazing than all. Jesus is better. Why is he better? Because Jesus is the ultimate word. He's the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus is superior over all things. Last one. Write this down. Jesus' salvation is too great to ignore. The way Jesus has saved us is amazing. It's too amazing. It's too great for us to ignore. And here we come, actually now, to a warning passage. And this is the first warning passages, passage of six warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Do you remember in the introduction how I said that the book of Hebrews was written to some people who were ready to give up? These are people who are ready to abandon their faith in Christ. They've been doing the Jesus thing and now they're starting to wonder, oh, maybe we should take a step back. Maybe we need to back away from our faith in Christ. Maybe we need to go back to what we knew before, to our um, Jewish roots. Let's go back to our old tribe, to our old ways of thinking about things. Let's go back to our old scriptures and the, the temple and the sacrifices. Let's go back to what we used to do. Let's give up on Jesus. See, our author is facing a pretty urgent problem. His readers are on the verge of apostasy. What's apostasy? Apostasy is when someone falls away from a profession of faith. In other words, this is someone who professed faith in Christ. They've fallen away. And today they're no longer walking with Jesus. Readers here, that's what's happening. They're on the verge of apostasy. They're getting ready to walk away from Christ, to walk away from Christianity. You know, apostasy isn't just something we find in, in the Bible, in, in places like Hebrews. You know, apostasy is, is a real deal thing. We all know people who've walked away from Christ, don't we? You know, today, apostasy is, is trending. These famous people who are going on Instagram and just saying they, don't, they don't, can't believe Christianity anymore. Think about Joshua Harris in the 90s. You know, I kissed dating goodbye. We all read that book. And, and then he kissed his faith goodbye on Instagram. Uh, think about my brother. If you would have met my brother 20 years ago, he was an atheist punk rocker. He had a spiked leather jacket, chains, red mohawk, the whole thing. And then Jesus turned his life upside down. I'm telling you, his life visibly changed. Um, he, he began to, to cover up tattoos and cleaned up his life. He started going to church. He professed faith in Christ. He got baptized, all of that. And he did that for many years. And a few years ago, he started to see, started to watch my brother drift away and drift further and further away from Christ to where 
And one day he just said to me, you know what, Brian? I just can't believe in Jesus anymore. It breaks my heart. Well, here's, a, here's a family member who's part of my oikos. I'm praying for him every day. But we know people who've walked away from Christ. We do. We all do. Not only is that something we're facing today, it's something that's an urgent pressing matter in the book of Hebrews. How does the book of Hebrews address people who are about to give up? By showing them the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And number two, through some warnings. And we're going to look at now the first warning of six warning passages in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is famous for these warning passages. And today we're just going to look at the first one. These are powerful. These are, these are you know, really stirring and they, they raise a lot of questions. We'll address those questions. But today I just want you to hear this. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. The author is encouraging perseverance by reminding them that Jesus' salvation is too great to ignore. Don't ignore the salvation you have in Christ. It's too great to ignore. This is what it says, Hebrews 2.1. We, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Right? He's connecting himself with the apostles here. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. This is real. This is true. We heard it. We, we saw it. Jesus is alive. He's reigning over all things. So do not drift away. Pay attention today to who Christ is. Do not walk away from Jesus Christ. Pay attention. See, God is clear. And every sin and every disobedience will receive its just punishment. But God has provided a way of salvation. Jesus bore the punishment for our sins. He paid the price for our salvation. And today... He's won the victory, and he sits on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Think about that. Fix your eyes on that. And remember Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Remember your great salvation. Right? Salvation is just the news of God's love and forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross to save us. That salvation is a new life with God that starts today and it lasts forever. And what, the, what Hebrews is warning us is saying, pay attention. Because how will you escape if you ignore so great a salvation? See, the Bible's clear. There is salvation in one name and one name only, and that is the name of Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus to save us from our sins. How will we be saved if we ignore so great a salvation? The message today is don't walk away. Don't give up. Don't get in. give in. 
And maybe you're here today and you have been drifting. You know it. You've been drifting further and further away from Jesus. Your passion isn't there, whatever it is. This letter, this message, it's a wake-up call. It's like drinking a cup of coffee. Today is the day to wake up to who Jesus is. He is God's ultimate revelation. He is superior to all things. Do not walk away from Jesus. He is awesome and he loves you and he has saved you and me. Number two, maybe it's a wake-up call for you today because for a long time you've been ignoring Jesus Christ. You've been ignoring the salvation and today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to surrender your life to Christ and say, Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. Jesus, I want you to be the sacrifice for my sins. I want a new relationship with God. And if you, if you say yes to Jesus today, he is going to save you and it is awesome and it is amazing. It is an incredible life. So I challenge you today, I encourage you to live your life with passion for Jesus Christ because Jesus is better. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for today. Thanks for your word. This is going to be an amazing series. And I pray today that you would stir up a passion in our hearts by giving us a vision of Jesus Christ who's greater than the angels. He is a a far surpassing sacrifice for sins. He is supreme over all things. His word is sustaining us right now. We're being sustained by his powerful word. Help us, God, to live lives of faithful passion and obedience to Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our, our own. Sustain us. Sustain our faith through the mighty word of Jesus. And we ask that in your precious name. Amen.